Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. It's a great day. The Lord has us all here together for a reason. He's got you up and got you here for a reason, and I feel like I need to quickly address the elephant in the room. No pun intended on the elephant in the room. Um, cause, and I wasn't going to say anything, but somebody said, somebody said a little while ago, they said, I heard that you're in a bad mood. Don't be, and I'm like, I'm not in a bad mood. My eligibility ran out about 35 years ago. So, yeah, I went there and yeah, I played, but I, it, it was a long time ago. So, congratulations to the new, the S, I say new, they've been SEC champs too many times, but scratch that. I will tell you this, though, when my wife was leaving yesterday to go out of town, she was real concerned, and when she left, she rolled her window down and she said, if you're going up to the church to watch the game with everybody on the big screen, please behave yourself. And I, did I not? If you were here, I behaved myself totally. I just went out there and banged my head into the wall. But let me add one, I want to add one thing to the announcement, one of the announcements that Richard just uh, told us about the Christmas Eve that we're having. Just don't forget, remember that our children, our kids ministry, they're going to be singing and they're going to be rocking it. So y'all be here on Christmas Eve. It'll be, the, the message is really going to be the Christmas story, the birth of Christ, and our kids are going to be singing, and it's going to be awesome, so, so y'all come for that. Now, we have come to the, to the end of this little series called Collide, and if you remember, and if you're new to our church, we preach in an expository way, and what that means is, is we walk through Scripture, we walk through books of the Bible, and when you do that, y'all, you can't avoid difficult conversations, and so I believe, and Richard believes, that that is, is multiple ways to preach, but, but that's probably, at least our opinion is that's the best way, but from time to time, we'll step out of a series, and we've been in the book of Acts for probably three months, and we, are, uh, we were in chapter eight, two or three months, we were in chapter eight, and what we saw at the beginning of chapter eight is we saw the, uh, right on the heels of Stephen being stoned to death at the end of chapter seven, we saw the early church scatter, 20,000, 30,000 people scatter uh, out of Jerusalem. Well, where did they scatter? They scattered into the world. And what we see is we see a collision between the church and the culture. No different than today, no different than 1,000 years ago, no different than 2,000 years ago. And so we stepped out of that study of Acts to talk about that collision that happens between Christianity and the culture. And we did, we've done that, I think this is the fourth week. And we're wrapping that up today. So at the beginning of this, a month or so ago, we laid the foundation for, uh, for standing firm in our faith when the world attempts to convince us of an alternate set of values, a different worldview, so to speak. Next, we talked about the importance of, of allowing God to transform our minds, renew our minds, transform us. And that happens in that battle really begins and takes place in our minds. And then from there, uh, he can transform our lives. Got to renew and transform our minds, and then our lives can follow our minds. And then last week, we spoke about truth, objective, real truth, and where truth comes from, and, and, and about receiving the truth from God's Word. And while we figured out and began to get our arms around how to hold on to that truth, we we talk through that it's not just about holding on to that truth. It's about sharing that truth. It's about giving, freely giving that truth away. And today as we close out this little series called Collide, I believe that standing firm in our faith, standing firm in God's word includes and maybe is, is undergirded by the most important four-letter word in the history of mankind, and that is L-O-V-E. That is, that is love. We have got to love what matters more. We've got to love what matters the most. Y'all, I remember uh, about 10 years ago, no, about 13 years ago, when I'm coaching one of my kids' uh, football teams. Actually, it's 14 years ago, coaching one of my kids' football teams. And at the time, I was just starting in real estate, in the real estate business, and and we were just flat broke, and, and I was trying to, to keep food on the, on the table and 
because they all, you know, Zach and Will and Susan wanted to eat at least every, at least a little bit every other day. And so I'm trying to keep food on the table, trying to keep them having something to wear. And, and I was working and working and working and hours and hours and hours and hours, 15 hours a day, every day. And, and, and it was a, you know, that, that was a struggle. But, but I remember, and I, and I didn't know that many people in the office, and one of the owners, his name is Dan Parker. Uh, he's retired now, kind of retired. It was Ken and Parker Duncan and, 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 and Key at the time. Now it's Ken and Parker Duncan and Davis. But Dan Parker calls me, and I was out doing something, and he called me, and he said, are you in the office? I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, when you get back to the office, he said, can you come to my office at 3 o'clock? And I called Susan and said, I'm getting fired. Like, I don't know what I did, but I'm going to the principal's office, you know. And so I get back to the office, and I go into Dan's office, and, and I didn't know, really know these guys. I was just trying to make a living at the time. And, and he says to me, he said, I just wanted to let you know that, uh, that we're seeing how hard you're working. I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. He said, you're working hard. You're being honest. You're trying to make a living. You're trying to care for your family. It was totally not what I thought. And then he said, and I know you're coaching your son's football team, which was kind of weird. I'm like, is he stalking me on Facebook? But Facebook <laughs> didn't exist at the time. This was like 2004, I think. And I thought it was weird. I said, yeah, I am coaching my, my, son, my youngest son's football team. And he said, yeah, practice today. I said, yes, I do. He said, what time? I said, 5.30. He said, well, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go get your son. I want you to drive to the field. It was right behind the Walmart on uh, Airport Thruway. He said, I want you to drive to the field. I want you to take your phone off your hip. I want you to put it in the car. And I want you to go onto that field and I want you to focus on your son and your team. And any phone call that you need for real estate, he said, there's no such thing as a real estate emergency. He said, any phone call, any client that doesn't see the value of being with your kids, you don't need them as a client. And I, I, one of the things I thought at that time is I'm probably working in the right place because the priorities are right. But then he said this. He said, love what matters more. Love what matters more. And it was such a cool thing to hear him say that because that decision required me to say no to work in that moment, no to work, and yes to spending quality time with my son. It was a, probably one of the most valuable life lessons I ever had. Love what matters more. Love what matters the most. Now the Bible talks seriously about the importance of Choosing, me and you choosing to spend time with God ultimately in His Word and in prayer, but to grow in our relationship with Him. As we do that, we will be drawn and become closer with Him rather than being drawn and become closer to the things of the world. Remember, we're talking about the culture and, and, and Christianity colliding. I want us to look at. 1 John chapter 2, this is the Apostle John, and he's writing this late in the first century. Listen to what he says about this, about loving what matters the most. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the things of the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then he tells us what the things are. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. All those things are in the world, not from the Father, but those things are from the world. And he wraps it up and he says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides Forever. So John talks, of, he's talking about a craving in this passage. He's talking about a craving. He says that we are tempted to crave the things of the world. And I believe that the very first step in loving what matters the most is to correct the crave. If you've got a worship guide, you've got a couple of fill in the blanks. If you don't have a worship guide, raise your hand and we want to get one in your hand. But we've got to correct the crave. And John warned his readers against loving the world and all that it offers. Verse 15 says, because all that is in the world is not of the Father. All the things in the world are not of the Father. And Jesus made this tension really clear. 
when he said nobody, Matthew chapter 6, I think it is, he said you can't be a slave to two masters. You can't be a slave to two masters. And in this passage in John, the world, it doesn't, he's not referring to creation because obviously creation is of the Father, obviously. But the, 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 the word, the world in this passage in John is really this present system that we see out, out in the world. When you go out the doors of the church, when you go out, out, uh, out the door of your home, when you go to work, the, the kind of the system that's jacked up is the world that John is talking about. That present evil system is really, it's kind of ruled by Satan and it's in opposition to God and everything that God is is opposed to that. Now, I don't want you to take it this way because there's a nuance here. Don't go down the road and think that the world is controlled by Satan because God is sovereign and Satan, Satan is a defeated foe. I've said that a couple of weeks ago. He's a defeated foe. When Jesus said it's finished on the cross, Satan was defeated. But everything that he is and does out in the world is opposed to everything that God is and does. The world has rebelled and has fallen into sin. And nothing in the world system loves the Father. Nothing in the, in the world system finds its source in the Father. So, so taking all that is in the world... John took, made three categories. He gives us three categories. And those three categories are subjective because they speak of the attitudes of the heart. We were singing a song a little while ago about the heart, about the heart, about the heart. And a believer may look perfectly clean and perfectly serene on the outside but harbor all of these attitudes on the inside. And the apostle John feared that that, that, that may happen. So he's warning them and he's warning us to restrain those kinds of desires. The first one he talks about is the desires of the flesh. Some of your translations probably say the lust of the flesh. And Jesus spoke about how adultery does not begin with the act. Adultery doesn't begin with the act. Adultery begins with the desire. It begins with a desire. It begins with looking at another person with lust in, in your heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 or 28 says that. And these words picture really any kind of desire, but the craving for sex is at the forefront of this. Now, no doubt, this, the ancient hearer of the word, particularly in Ephesus, they understood it because the pagan religions of the day, particularly in Ephesus, it, 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 the pagan, that pagan religion glorified sex. The world today has many, many similarities to that. Sex in, in, in all of its immoral forms and maybe even grotesque forms are portrayed in movies and books and magazines and, and, and the web. And those all of that appeals to our sinful nature. You know that you're tempted to keep going back to the same website that, that you think fulfills you for about five minutes. You know that you're tempted to respond to this lustful feeling that is inside and it comes your way as you're scrolling through Instagram. Y'all, this is a little bit of an awkward conversation, but that's what happens because it's, so, it's, 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 a, it's attractive. It's seductive. It's luring. And so the, 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 this particular category, it seems to refer mostly to that kind of lust. Any sort of selfish or greedy cravings to satisfy something physically is what John is talking about. The lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Anything that is purely physical or, or self-centered or self-gratifying is what he's talking about. Now, I don't want you to think that this desire for physical intimacy and connection, that those desires are wrong desires. They're not wrong desires. They're not. They're put inside of us by the Lord. But John says that we're often tempted to fulfill those desires in the wrong way. And there's only one right way. 
and that is one man and one woman in the bond of marriage. But the world is tempting you to do everything else, and that's what John is talking about. So the desires of the flesh, and then he talks about the desires of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, sins of, of craving and accumulating possessions like, like bowing to the God of materialism. That's in that category. And even sex may also be included in that, but people's eyes can lust after all kinds of stuff. What it, look in Genesis 3. Eve wanted the fruit that was what? It was a delight to her eyes. And she wanted that fruit. In Joshua 7, Achan saw this beautiful robe and silver and gold and he wanted it. And David is standing on his balcony and he's looking down at Bathsheba. She's bathing and he wanted her. That's in, in 2 Samuel chapter 10 or 11. Look, the only way not to see anything is if you were blind or if you put blinders on your eyes somehow. But what John is saying is we can't be obsessed with the things that come into our eyes because they're, they're going to come into our eyes and our brain is right back there somewhere. That sounded kind of dumb, didn't it? <laughs> Where's the battle take place? In your mind. Scripture tells us that over and over and over. So the desires of the flesh, the desires, the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. Some translations actually say the, uh, the pride in possessions, the pride of life. And it refers both to an inward, um, an inward attitude and an outward boasting, bragging, exaggerating, because of, uh, really because of an, an obsession with status or an obsession with, with possessions. Because that word pride that is used in the Greek, it, it carries a note of, of exaggeration. And you know, exaggeration is code for a lie, right? People exaggerate all the time though. But in this pride of life thing, it is an exaggeration to elevate yourself. It's an exaggeration or a boasting uh, to elevate yourself excuse me, and, and impress people. And it's always, y'all, it's always a stretch of the truth. So the, the, the lust or the, or the desires of the flesh, the lust or the desires of the eyes, and then the pride of life. Listen, John's key message is that me and you as believers should avoid, do everything we can to avoid sinful desires. Christians today have the exact same struggle with, with all of that, all three of those categories, as they did 2,000 years ago. Today, many Christians defined worldliness by a certain set of overt, external, outside kind of behaviors, like refrain from this list of questionable activities and you avoid worldliness. My wife grew up in a church her whole life growing up. Don't you dare dance. Wear a dress that comes all the way down, covers up your ankles. Don't do this, don't do that. It's this long list of don'ts. Not really any do's, but a bunch of don'ts. And as long as you don't do all of those things, then you're kind of good to go. But John's description here of what it means to love the world targets attitudes. It targets our, our heart. And it targets the, even the relationship between our heart and our, and our mind. Craving, attitudes, cravings, lust, desires, pride. Those, all of those words describe internal heart attitudes that actually can go easily, kind of go undetected. And we may be, uh, uh, appear to be free of, of worldly attitudes and still be filled with sinful desires. Listen, it is possible to avoid dirty videos or dirty books or dirty, or, or, or dirty whatever and still harbor inside illicit sexual kind of desires. A person can live simply even while greedily desiring possessions. A person can fake humility 
and still secretly long for, uh, crave for recognition and, and honor. Well, here's what, what's the lesson in that, y'all? It is don't buy into a super simplistic view of what worldliness is. It is a deep-seated condition. With the help of the, of the Holy Spirit, really, renounce. Today, just renounce worldliness and keep, to whatever degree you can, keep the, the sinful cravings under control. And pray through that. If you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, if you are a new creation, as Paul would say, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. Pray to, for all of those sinful desires to go away because it all starts in your heart and in your mind. Listen, many of us in ministry, vocational ministry, there's this shadow side of, of wanting to be, here's a made-up word, ce- celebritized, to be made a celebrity. It lurks around the corner all the time. I'm sure it happens to worship leaders, to preaching pastors. I concluded a long time ago that, that fame only looks glamorous before somebody has it. You just look out in the world at the people that are, quote, famous and put up on a pedestal and they're getting paid millions and gajillions of dollars. But they can't even leave their house, their house without getting accosted. They, they're, they're, they're just uh, tackled in the parking lot by fans. That kind of lifestyle is really not what it kind of is held up to be. And you see, God knows that once we get things like fame and status, that they will not ultimately fulfill or satisfy us. They really were never made to do this. There's only one thing that is made to satisfy our craving for deep, abiding connection, and that is the love of God. That is the only thing that can fill that hole that is inside of you. I think that God wants to correct our crave and get us craving the right things. He wants you to hunger after and thirst after something more than the world has the ability to give you, and that is his love. It's his love, and, 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 and the way in which we discover God's love is by discovering, at least in some sort of a way, who he is. We got to begin to get our arms around who God is. Really, we have got to discover God's favor. And, and, and you hear people say, so-and-so found, he found God, or he found Jesus. I don't, pers- I don't really like that language because... If, if you can't find God, it's not because he's hiding from you. It's because you don't want to find him. He's not hiding from you. Look at the birth of a child. Go outside and look at nature. Go outside and watch a bee pollinate a flower. Like, he's not hiding from you. But I think we, we have got to discover his favor. There's a few different places in 1 John. The Bible tells us that God is love. Chapter 4 and and I think verse 18, verse 16 says that God is love. Now you can take that thought to an unhealthy place too. And you can say, well, I heard people say it before. Well, the New Testament God is love. The Old Testament God is wrath and fury. Nah, God doesn't change. God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Right? Y'all with me on that? When we discover who God really is, we will discover true love. A couple of verses that we read a few minutes ago in, in, in uh, uh, chapter 2 of 1 John, I want, you, I want you to pay attention to the way he ends that. Because he says the things of the world, even the world itself is one day going to pass away. And then he says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. These things are going to pass away, the 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 desires of the flesh, the desires of the, of the eyes and the pride of life, they're going to they're gonna pass away. But God and his word are going to remain forever. 
Everything's going to pass away. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 40. said, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is throughout scripture, y'all. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Look. I don't think I've ever used a whiteboard up here, but here we go. If we take if we take the lust of the flesh, if we take the lust of the eyes, is if we take cars and houses and and all the just all the money and, and jobs, and can y'all read that chicken scratch? That list, y'all, that list could be a mile long. It could just be a mile long. All of that stuff. But then if we took... Can y'all see that chicken scratch? But here's the deal. I'm not supposed to step on a speaker, but I'm going to step on it anyway. All of this stuff passes away. But God's word is always there. I thought that was cool. Did y'all think that was cool? That was low-tech way to show you, y'all, that everything, I don't care what you got, I don't, all of those things, they pass away. Jesus said it, uh, Paul says it, John says it, Isaiah says it. Throughout scripture, you ain't, you ain't taking any of that stuff to the grave. You're, it's all going to go away. The world is going to go away, but God's word will remain. Throughout the scripture, everywhere, he tells us how to live. He tells us uh, uh, his desire for the way that we should live. He tells us his desire for how we are to, to speak and, and talk to one another. He tells us how we're to act out in the world. He tells us how we're to act in here, brothers and sisters in Christ. He tells us how to just how to treat each other. It all comes down to the fact that we ought to love one another. And he says, if the love doesn't come out of you, then the love of the Father is just probably not in you. And the world's love, the way the world defines love, again, this is, when I say world, I'm using it in the sense that, that John is, the, 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 the sort of jacked up system out in the world. It defines love as conditional. Conditional love loves the folks who deserve who you've decided deserve to be loved. Those in your family. Maybe you've decided they deserve, maybe you've decided that those in your family don't deserve it, but maybe the people in your family, maybe the people that, that agree with you on certain topics, maybe the people who politically are in line with you, you're a Democrat and the people who are Democrats deserve your love, or you're a Republican and the people who are Republicans deserve your love. Maybe those who you consider friends of yours You've decided that they deserve love. But let me tell you, as soon as somebody wrongs you, you put them to the curb. And they don't deserve it anymore. As soon as somebody says something rude to you, you don't love them anymore. And it may be somebody, look, we are sinners. All, every one of us here, put me in the front of the line. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm probably going to say something that hurts somebody's feelings. Maybe I haven't said something that hurts your feelings yet. It's coming though. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. The world would tell you, put me to the curb and don't love me anymore. That's the world's definition. It's all, it's all conditional. God wants to rewrite the narrative on love. Actually, he has already written, rewritten the narrative on love. His love is unconditional. You know how I know that it's unconditional? Because not one of us sitting here or watching online deserves to be loved by God. 
None of us deserve it. And if your starting point in life is to begin to understand that, that you don't deserve anything, that you don't deserve his love, you're not entitled to his love. We're born in iniquity. We're born sinful. That doesn't mean we're all born an axe murderer, but we might as well be. If that's our starting point. And Paul says it, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does it say every other person falls short of sin and fall short of the glory of God? 80%? This is a responsive thing. 80%? No, 20%? No, all of us, every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even with that being true, praise the Lord for Romans 5. With that being true, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. With that being true, God decided. Y'all know God has a decider. He gets to decide. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to because he's God. So he decides to love us. He decides to show us mercy. He decides to show us grace anyway. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the greatest act of sacrificial love in the history of mankind. You will never love anyone the way that he loved us. It's our, it's our goal. It's the model. I would die. I would die for my wife that fast. I would die for my kids that fast. I would die for my two grandchildren that fast. I don't know that I would die for Lonnie. I hope I would. <laughs> we were in the middle. Paul says it. While we were still sinners, as we hung him up on the cross, as we spat on him, as we cussed him out, as something happened in our life and we turned towards sin to try to fulfill the void in whatever happened, while we were in the middle of doing all of that, that's when Christ died for us. Y'all, you get your arms around that. That is love. Sacrificial, absolute love. The only question that I would ask you, will we make a decision to love him back? Will we make a decision to love him back? And y'all, it is a daily decision. It is not a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime sort of decision. Now, many people believe, and it is at least insinuated from many, many pulpits around the globe, honestly, that once you pray the, quote, sinner's prayer and invite Jesus into your heart, and invite Jesus to be the king of your heart and your life, you're good to go. Y'all, that's what the devil wants you to believe. It is a daily decision. That moment of salvation, and absolutely that is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You're justified. You become a new creation. You're born again. All of the words that Scripture use, you go from lost to found. You're declared righteous. That's what Paul says. Same thing that happened to Abraham. He was credited with righteousness. That is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But, y'all, that's the beginning. Like, that's not the end. You walk the aisle and you kneel at the cross and you beg to be saved. And it's as real as the day is long and the world looks different to you. The beginning is not the end. It is a daily decision. I want us to understand that the decision to follow him with our lives has got to be made every single day. And it can't be controlled by your feelings. Your feelings are going to ebb and flow through life. They are. There's going to be, quote, good times. And there's going to be bad times. According to our definition. Happiness is bound by time and circumstances. Joy is timeless. And if I'm saved and I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit... He helps to bring perspective to the valleys in my life. He also helps to bring perspective to the peaks in my life. Because if I'm saved, I understand that every peak, I didn't do nothing to deserve one nickel of it. Whatever it is, God did. 
So the Holy Spirit helps us with the, with the valleys and he helps us with the peaks. He helps us to understand those things. Every single day, you and I will be confronted with countless worldly temptations to give our lives to something else. Every single day. The world is bombarding us with it. And y'all, if you've got children, you can take it to the bank. The world, it's all the marketing on the planet is bombarding your kids with junk. Junk. Constantly. And who needs to be, who needs to be in the gap? You, as a mom and dad, need to be in the gap. You need to know what's going on in school. I can tell you right now, Miss Susan knew all the Facebook passwords. She knew, all, she knew all of that stuff. And they still, I'm sure, got away with all kind of junk. I'm sure they did. But she stalked their every move. Stalked their every move. And she had a wooden spoon, baby. And it sat right in the console. And she'd be driving down the road. And you got to kind of know my wife. She's so little and sweet and meek. But let her hand get on that wooden spoon. And she'd just be doing all of this back in the back seat. Y'all, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, but every day we are bombarded with countless things that are going to, temptations to give your, your mind and your heart to stuff that the world says is important. John knew that we would be confronted with that. Jesus knew that we would be confronted with all of that. So he gives us his word as a guide. And there's questions, probably two questions that that we should ask ourselves every day. Number one is this. Do the decisions that I make align with the Word of God? Do the decisions that I make on a daily basis align with God's Word? Do they align even with the red letters in your Bible, if you've got a red letter Bible? Are the things, the decisions I make, do they align, number one? Number two, do my actions, actions are important. The why is very important. The why, W-H-Y. But, I, but the actions are important too, right? So do my actions reflect that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do the things that I do out in the world, the way that I treat y'all, the way that y'all treat each other, do those actions, the words come out of my mouth, the things that I do every day, the way that I behave at work, do I just go to church on a Sunday morning and then I go and I lie and I cheat and steal during the week? If that's the case, then your actions are not lining up with the words when you profess to be a disciple of the one true God. They, they don't line it. They need to line up. They need to jive with that. Your, your walk and your talk need to go together. And look, again, we're, sin, we're, we're sinful. We're sinners. And we're going to fail. One of the most telling moments of my entire life was when my two sons realized that I was a sinner. It was horrific. At a stoplight. I can tell you exactly where it was. I've probably told this story before up here, but I'll do it and I'll be quick. I was at the stoplight on Whittlesey Road, Whittlesey Road and Moon Road, right in front of, um, um, what's the church on the right? North Highland. North Highland Assembly of God. At that stoplight. Sweet little old lady in the car in front of me. Light turned green. She didn't go as fast as I think she should have gone. And my kids were, Will was... Seven and Zach was ten. And I'm screaming like a moron. Wind is down too. Screaming like a fool. Go, 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 go. And total silence. Zach in the back seat said, that was real Christ-like, Dad. <laughs> Brother, that took a conversation with my kids that I will let you down. Don't you put me on a pedestal. I know I'm your dad. And I know in your eyes I'm supposed to be perfect. I'm very imperfect, and I will let you down, and I will fail, and I will commit sins. It was a, honestly, it was a beautiful gospel moment because I got to share the gospel with both my kids when they were, uh, Zach was 11, no, Zach was 10 and Will was 7. Three years later for Zach and six years later for Will, they, they got saved. That, but that was the first time that I got to share the gospel with them. Y'all, God sent his son into the world to redeem us, to reconcile us, to bring us back into a right relationship with him. You can say, really, that Jesus was sent on a collision course with the culture. 
He was literally born in the shadow of the Herodian, which was King Herod's palace. Cast a shadow into Bethlehem on the hillside that we believe Jesus was born in. So he is born a little baby. Literally in the shadow of King Herod, who was probably the most powerful, most awesome, and I mean awesome, not good, awesome, big, builder, um, king that had ever lived. So Jesus comes and he's on a collision course with culture. Second Peter, Peter writes this about the desire of the Lord. He says this is verse 9 in chapter 3 of Second Peter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but he's patient. He's long-suffering. He's patient towards you. Why is he patient towards me and you? Because he doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, to turn away from the lust of the eyes, to turn away from the lust of the flesh, to turn away from the pride of life, and not just stop there, to turn towards him. Repentance is a 180, not a 90. But it is so easy for us to get sidetracked. It is so easy for us to get distracted. And all the devil needs to do or wants to do is just knock us off just about that much. If I get the front corner of something that should be 90 degrees, if it's 91 degrees, back here in this corner, it's going to be 10 degrees off. That's all he needs to do. That's all he wants to do. Wreck your witness a little bit. Just ruin your life a little bit. Let me just get you to turn a little bit towards me. So it's so easy for us to get sideways. It's so easy for us to get distracted because the negative messaging, the the lifeless messaging, the sometimes overtly evil messaging, sometimes the really seductive um, worldly sort of messaging, It's so negative, and it's so persuasive, and it's so non-stop. It is just barraging us, constant. Is barraging a word? Okay, thank you. It just kind of came out. It's just so relentless, is it not? Do y'all feel that in the world? It is like non-stop, and it's after he wants to eat you. That is what scripture says. He wants to devour us. And I believe with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can at least begin at least begin to make a conscious decision every day to say no to the things of the world and yes to the love and the things of the Lord. We'll be able when we do that, we'll be able to live uh, this fruitful and abundant life that Jesus came to deliver. Look at John 10:10. 10, 10. Says the thief Comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The Ed paraphrases, he wants to eat you. He wants to devour you. And he wants to, to devour your children. It was like, y'all, the day several months ago, I'm out with Rudy, my, my little long-haired dachshund. And I'm walking him in the side of the farmhouse. And I look to the back about 100 yards away. And there's a coyote pacing back and forth looking at us. And I'm like, you want to eat my dog? I'm sitting there thinking, you want to eat my dog? Well, he got blown in half, but, but he's trying to eat my dog. The devil wants to eat you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to eat your children and destroy your children. And he can do it. He's good at doing it, y'all. He's been doing it for a long time. And we've got a, we've got, and it's, he's subtle. He's subtle, but he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But that verse in John chapter 10 says, I, Jesus, came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. If y'all, if we will invest in the word, if we will invest in the fellowship of the saints, if we will invest in locking arms with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we'll invest in Christ-centered teaching, if we'll invest in Jesus-focused, full-blown gospel preaching, if we'll invest in prayer, 
if we'll invest in leaning on each other, if we'll invest in serving out, out there in the world, sharing the gospel, then we can renew our minds. Then the Lord, let me say it this way, then the Lord will transform us by renewing our minds. And we'll, we'll, our minds will be renewed with the things of the kingdom of God. And when you find that the world's values, the world's kingdom collides with the kingdom's values, are you going to make the decision to choose the path? You're at another fork in the road. You're going to choose the path of the kingdom of God. You're going to choose the path of the kingdom of the world. What are little things? Like, y'all, these are little minor adjustments that you can make today that will result in huge consequences a year, two, three, five, ten years from now. Can you just say, I'm just going to spend some daily time in Scripture. I'm not talking about go read the whole book of Genesis tomorrow morning before work. Spend a little time in Scripture. Study and dig into the Word. Join a growth group. Study the Word in fellowship with each other. It's a great, great time. Join a life group. Volunteer somewhere at church doing something. Spend time with a mentor. You want some really fruitful time? Get one-on-one with with somebody who's just a step spiritually a little ahead of you growth-wise, a little more mature. Increase accountability with somebody. You're being accountable to them and them being accountable with you. You do realize that if you're a believer, you're accountable to all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. But find somebody and be accountable to each other. Give financially to the church. If you've never given, give. If you have given, give a little more. Y'all, God wants us to trust Him with everything. Everything, and our finances is part of that. Maybe a little change is to cut off some, some destructive habit or, or some destructive tendency that you may have. Look, the world is full of things that we could love at the expense of our relationship with Jesus. Success, money, status, accomplishments, all of those things can be things that we, um, that we can put above all else. I want to make just a little more money. I'm going to go get a second or a third job. I don't really need more money. I just want to hoard some more money, so I'm going to go get another job. And I know it's working on Sunday, and I can't, and I'm going to avoid the fellowship of the saints. Y'all, fellowship is important. Super, super important. But all those things we can put on pedestals and value them above all else. And we need to every day make a decision to consciously love what matters the most. Give our time and our, and our energy and our affection to the Lord. Listen. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus' words. Pharisee asked Jesus, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trick him, right? Somebody tell me how many commandments there are in Scripture in the Old Testament. 613, all right? What's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It's the greatest commandment. That's the the spirit of the law. The spirit of the 613 commandments is God just says, love me. And I can almost say, and I don't want you to twist this around, but if I love him with everything I am, everything in my mind, everything in my heart, every bit of my might, every bit of my soul, all that other stuff's going to fall into place. That doesn't mean life's going to be a bed of roses, not at all. But I don't need to be a slave to the 613 if I will just love him. If I love him, I'll honor my mom mom and dad. 
If I love him, I'm probably not going to murder somebody. If I love him, probably not. Think about it. If I love him, I'm probably not going to covet. If I love him, I'm probably not going to gossip. If I love him, I'm probably not going to take his name in vain. If I love him, I'm probably going to honor the Sabbath. Do y'all get what I'm saying? Love him. He died on a cross for you while you were spitting in his face. Love him. Just love him. And if you're not in a relationship with him, let me just say this. It's not a big complicated formula. When I say love him, love him. Repent. What, what, what does that say in, in, uh, in that, that verse in Peter, in 1 Peter? That all should come to repentance. It's where it begins. I got to acknowledge I'm a sinful man. I got to acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I repent and turn away from it and turn towards him. Turn towards him. Love him. And then I got to believe that he died on the cross and that, that sacrificial death took care of my sin problem. I don't want to take care of my sin problem myself. The consequences are grave and I don't want to do it myself. He did it for me. Didn't deserve it, but he did it for me. And walks out of a grave alive. That's the gospel, y'all. That's a response to the gospel if you've never done that. All those other things I was talking about today, join a growth group, get in the Word, pray. All of those are responses to the gospel. Give, be in fellowship, respond. It demands a response. And if you have never said yes to that offer, if you can cut the lights down, it'd be awesome. If you've never, never said yes to that offer, I invite you to say yes to that offer today. And I want to lead us through this. And, and, and brief and quick. Say it to yourself. And it's not these words that are going to save you. It's Jesus that saves you. But these words are a way to get it out of your mouth. Get it in your mind and in your heart. Lord, today's the day that I repent, that I turn away from my sin. Lord, I turn towards you and I believe, Lord, that you died on that cross to take care of my personal sin problem, paid a penalty for my sin. You're buying me back, Lord, and I believe it. Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you did that or if you need any kind of prayer, our prayer team is back there in that corner. They would love to pray with you. If you don't want to go back there on that connection card, you can write something down. Let us know. Just let us know if you have any prayer need or if you said yes to the Lord and you've never done that before, let us know. I ain't going to tackle you in the parking lot. I'd probably miss the tackle because I went to Georgia, but I, <laughs> I'm not going to tackle you in the parking lot. But we just want to love on you. We want to walk this journey with you. Turn it back over to the worship team.